Hello and welcome to today's PropCast on the Oxford Cambridge Arc. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and I'm joined today by Mike Derbyshire who's Head of Planning Partner at Bidwells and by Peter Baird who's Head of Urban Design for the London studio Perkins & Will global architecture and design firm. Good morning to both of you. So fantastic to see uh, the government coming out with this announcement today. It's a, uh, a new paper planning for sustainable growth in the Oxford Cambridge arc. And um, Mike, Peter, this very much plays on from the work that, that the three of us have done over the last 18 months around the Radical Regeneration Manifesto, which was a major 100-page report that uh, that was produced by by Bidwell's Perkins Will and Blackstock Consulting. And we brought together 25, uh, more than 25 different parties, including Legal and General, Grosvenor, L&Q, Apache Capital, and, and many others, uh, to recommend 16 different policy initiatives for the government. And, and Mike Derbyshire, they seem to have listened, don't they? What, let's talk through, talk us through some of the things in today's paper that, that you're most excited by. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Wow. Haven't they done it? Haven't they done it? All the way to, and your fear is it's going to be a damp squib, but I have to say they haven't disappointed. And when people get their teeth into it, I think they're going to be pretty excited because it is probably one of the most exciting papers that I've read in the 30s. All right, so look, let's cut to the chase. What is it they're suggesting and why, does it, why is that good? Um, they, they first and foremost recognise the potential of the arc. There's all the politics at play at the moment with post-Brexit world, but they fundamentally recognise the contribution that the arc between Cambridge and Oxford has made and will make to the future of the UK economy, not just in terms of economic wealth, but they've made it very clear it will be an exemplar of how we start to do planning elsewhere yeah, in the UK. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're great platitudes, Mike, but but what is it precisely um, that, that we were recommending that the government is now saying they're going to action? Well, one, they're talking about a single body, a, a body that covers all 23 authorities, Andy, not run by local authorities, run by run by an independent body of experts that will recommend where development goes, that major growth. And what it also recognises is that the current local plan system isn't working, isn't delivering enough employment spaces, isn't delivering enough jobs, and it is not greening up or committing to the sustainability credentials that we need to. So the government has said, we're going to draw this back centrally. We're going to work with our partners, but to make this happen, we need a firmer hand on the tiller, and it's going to be ours. And that, that's great, isn't it? Because I remember at the time, what, the way that we suggested that and, and some of the interviews that I did at the time, we were essentially calling for an Olympic-style authority, a bit like the Olympic delivery authority that the body set up to build all of the uh, the, the velodromes and stadiums. Uh, and I, yeah, I got seriously trolled on Twitter after we... Uh, after we we made that announcement, but it, but it was very positive at the time that MHCLG did come to us jointly and and brought us all in to have a conversation about it, and obviously fantastic to see you know a year and a bit on this now coming out. So in terms of how such a body would work, Mike, how does that potentially play out? Because there obviously are tons of stakeholders locally that will need to be part of this conversation, but clearly it does need to be that decisive action over what goes where, right? 
Yeah, um, they haven't gone into the detail. And I think that's a sensible thing. But I can't imagine that they won't have some some person at the top that we will know. I imagine it will be from the private sector because there's 23 authorities plus all the other bodies, the leps and everything else that will be involved. I've got a feeling it will be led by a senior figure from the industry that will drive it forward in the way that the Olympics, uh, the ODA was driven forward mm. with a common purpose and a common goal. I think the difference between the Olympic Liberal Authority and whatever we call the new art body is there is a commitment to collaboration. But what is wonderful is there's also a commitment to pace, Andy. Two years they're talking about. If you look at the programme, they're talking about two years, and that is serious pace. Look at most local authorities. It's five to six years with one local plan. We're talking about a strategic spatial strategy covering 23 authorities done and dusted in just over two years. Fantastic. Well, I think they've obviously recognised that, that that we don't have time to waste on this. Peter Baird, let's, let's bring in Peter Baird. So, Peter, uh, you're head of urban design at Perkins Will, mm-hmm. major, large global architecture firm. And to put in context, some of the projects you've been working on recently in this area are you've been working on Cambridge Science Park with, with Trinity College Cambridge. You've been working on, on Milton Park, which is which is owned by MEPC. And you've also been working with the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor using uh, a lot of your data mapping skills to identify these clusters and think about the sorts of uh, the sorts of developments that are going to be uh, not just viable but potentially attractive to local occupiers and local investors. So, where does where do some of these things in in this paper fit in to the work you're doing and, and to some of the things that that we've obviously been banging on about for the last couple of years? Hey, thanks, Andy, and, and hi there. Um, I mean, I think you can kind of cut straight into the fact that you know, digital first is in there um, and making better use of, of digital tools to support um, to support planning and, and policy making. So the, um, the, the companies that we've been working with, and particularly Cambridge Science Park, particularly Milton Park, and, and across the whole of the tech corridor, in, in fact, um, they are... They're very dynamic. They're high growth companies. Uh, they are using technology to their best advantage themselves. Uh, and so it makes only natural sense that, that we leverage all the tools available to us to, to enhance and improve and speed up, um, speed up planning decisions. I mean, there's incredible advancements in terms of, uh, geographic information systems, how we, um, how we aggregate data, how we can look across previously siloed areas and, and, uh, and create better decision making, um, for the, for the whole of the arc. And so to see the government, uh, sort of embrace that and push that to the front of its thinking, I, I think is, is a, a key step forward. And, and so talk us through some of the work you've been doing on, on the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor, a bit of a mouthful, <laughs> uh, best to spell it out in full rather than use the acronym as well. But, um, but, but what, what, what is that analysis throwing up? So that analysis looks across the the um, the whole of the region, and it it hones in on uh, particular areas uh, where there's there's clusters of uh, of companies which are which are in uh, sort of a stage of high growth. So they're receiving inward grants of investment from either private or or government funding, um, and it, it looks at where there's existing um, assets and some of the incredible science parks uh, around Cambridge, but also up to 
to up to Norwich and uh, and and the Norwich Research Park and uh, and smaller locations like uh, the Hethel Engineering Centre, which are really they are the incubators for uh, for the future uh, businesses within within the region. Mm. Uh, and and so what the study does is it it. It uses um, information across environment, uh, planning proposals, uh, across um, company growth, market uh, position to to identify the the way that those clusters can combine their efforts for inward investment into the region and essentially support the communities. Yeah, and I think that that's that's one of the key elements that, that Mike mentioned is it get, getting down into the into the people and the businesses and the collaborative element. So rather than just simply saying we're going to do this there, this there, and this there, you can actually look at the data. And this is a this is a particular uh, technology platform that Perkins Will has developed, isn't it? That that you are using that you enables your clients to essentially have a a competitive advantage over somebody else by seeing what's there and what they could be doing. Pulling in for over forty different data sets and and allowing um, through the sort of the methodology in the background of weighting and aggregation to to line up uh, yeah clusters yeah. of, of youth and uh, and and uh, and opportunities for the future absolutely. So Mike Derbyshire, let, let's continue ploughing through this paper so that people don't have to read it. Although it's actually pretty short and compared to some of the things that the government's pumped out over the years. So we've got the arc-wide body that we've talked about. Peter's just talked us through the, the proposals on digital planning, which was another recommendation that I was particularly passionate about with my my background setting up SpaceHive, the uh, the world's first civic crowdfunding platform. And, and that's been a big, big bugbear of mine. Often a lot of the work that we do at Blackstock is, is getting called in to deal with challenges like uh, local planning and, and reputational issues. And I think there's certainly a big argument, isn't there, that if companies do engage more with with people via digital means, that you, you'll probably get slightly more positive responses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you'll be tapping into people that have a have more of an input you know more 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 a stake in the future sometimes than than others um so talk about some of the other things mike tell us tell us what else is in there that that's caught your eye growing pains andrew the recognition uh, it says the risk we face worse outcomes for communities the economy and the environment with high growth comes growing pains and this i think is key for readers of the document uh, it says the art like Silicon Valley's experienced pain that's come from the movement of people, outpace and the delivery of new infrastructure. Only London has seen higher rates of growth. Rates of job creation in almost every authority in the, in the arc far exceed jobs targets in local plans and house and delivery rates are significantly below the level likely to be needed to accommodate current housing needs and future job creation. What it is saying is our planning system is it currently as it currently works. It's creaking it's, under the weight. It's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not dealing with the challenge. It's not, it's not looking at the potential of the ARC. And I think the leaders have recognised that. The ARC leaders have recognised that. Yeah, and right. I think what we've said, but we don't have the tools to deal with it. We don't have the so, tools so to deal is, with so it. This, so this, this is basically going to uh, almost sort of push the pedal down on, on, and steamroller stuff forward. It... I agree with half of that, Andy. It will put the pedal down. It won't steamroll, but it will make difficult decisions. It has to make difficult decisions. Whichever way you want to dress that up, steamroll, but difficult decisions. Well, yeah, no, steamroll is a slightly emotive word, but but let's be 
blunt about this what we're saying here is that the system isn't working there's too much job creation there's not enough houses being built um and and in order to actually affect change something needs to happen right and and the environment gets lost in all of this so as part of the paper they're saying we'll start to give credit for uh in heart by biodiversity net gain if you invest in biodiversity net gain today you won't be penalized will allow you to use that investment towards future development. So it's one of the first documents that I'm aware of that allows credits to start to be accrued for those landowners that start investing in uplifting their land now to accrue the benefits for developments further down the line. And what does that mean in practice? What what credit's a very vague word. Well, if you want to do something that enhances your site at the moment, you won't get any credit for it because typically the way that biodiversity works at the moment is it has to be linked with your planning application. So for that careful long-term landowner that's looking to manage their land, they get no credit for what they do now. I think what this is trying to say is we will give you credit for enhancements when you do them. We need to find yeah, a what does, what does credit mean? What, what does that mean? Is that a tax rebate? What, what does well, it mean? So, so if you have a piece of scrubland that has very low ecological value and you enhance it, that's part of your uplift that's in the environment bill that will come through eventually. It's your 10% uplift. So you will benefit from the fact that you've upgraded your land and you've delivered a, a, a net benefit in that land. So the policy requirement that will come down the line that says with any new housing scheme, you will need to demonstrate an uplift it's, it's it's allowing creative thinking for landowners to start to bank mm. that credit earlier in the process rather yep. than have to wait for the application and then demonstrate afterwards so it's just it's just a it's just a sensible way of encouraging landowners yep. to start managing their land and and is this then a, this is this sounds like it's a very good thing for those backers of modular housing and this was something else that that we talked a lot about in the radical regeneration, radical kind of in saying the radical regeneration manifesto, and it's obviously no secret that Blackstock Consulting has been a huge backer of all of things MMC over the years through our work with the likes of Mark Farmer and, and Vision and, and Ilka, and, and uh, we had Ilka Homes and Apache Capital uh, in the Regen manifesto, uh, and and that presumably Mike Darbusher is, is going to be a that's going to play quite a role, isn't it? Because these guys are able to build zero carbon homes now yeah. and and lots of people across the arc are going to be a lot more focused aren't they on the quality of what's built the speed that it's built with and and ultimately the environmental performance yeah net zero carbon we, we that was one of our policy uh, recommendations that it should be non-negotiable how you achieve it is a challenge the government has made it very clear that it's one of the driving... Well, the only people that can achieve it right now are, are people manufacturing factories. The volume houses aren't able to do it at scale. Some would argue that they can. I'm working with clients that could say they've got commitments to it. So what we can do yeah. now... But I mean, I, I, would, but I, would, I would point you to, to, to their opposition to, to some of the future homes... Uh, changes that have been made but let, look, let, let's not go down that no. rabbit hole now because there's, there's plenty of positive stuff to talk about um so look peter baird let, let's talk about some more of the positivity here um in, t- in terms of how uh this integrated approach to planning that they talk about uh in this paper would work that that obviously that let you know let's let's deal with the elephant in the room which is transport because um Obviously, with all of the houses that we've talked about that need to be built and all of the jobs that are being created, um, not everyone's going to be able to get about on a bike or on a drone, are they? (laughs) 
Um, well, well, drones uh, will see um, increasing. Uh, interesting opportunities but I, I think we've got to get back to the fundamentals and and you know, like you say the, the the elephant is the the rail and the and and the stations and 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 not just new stations which are being proposed but um but being able to think about existing stations and and the efficient use of land around those stations in the radical regeneration you know we identified that as something which is which is is key and those embedded pieces of infrastructure offer huge opportunities it looks like that's coming forward in terms of this better integration between economy, housing, and environment, bringing the um, businesses uh, and houses into more sort of TOD style approaches. What's, what's to explain TOD for people that? that... <laughs> so, so transit uh, oriented uh, design. So, where you're really you're trying to maximise. And, and in, pl in plain English, that means. It means that you're trying to maximise the value around the, the the train station, and so you're getting as many people within a, a two to five minute walk of that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and and what we were calling for was essentially a, a a flex in planning to enable that, and that's one of the challenges that people have, right? Is that 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 a lot of local planning authorities will turn around and say, oh, "Well, we're not going to allow this density because it's too high, too massive, too too much, too much, too much, too much, too much, too much." But right, but you know, you're you're in a if you're if you're next to a train station, then that is going to be the most accessible and sustainable form of, of travel. You know, particularly with advances in train technology moving forward. You know, and and, and so to maintain low densities around those critical uh, points of interchange uh, doesn't make any sense, does it? It it, uh, it seems to be a missed opportunity. I'll say that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll put it slightly more bluntly. It's, it's absolutely bloody crazy. Uh, if we've got if we've got shortages of land in places like London, Cambridge, Oxford, you, you know, you should you should you know within the realms of acceptability and, and design, um, you know, really push for that. So, so in terms of what today's announcement says, Peter Baird, what's going to change? Well, obviously, the the, uh, um, the path forward is is pretty clear from the document, which I th which I think, as Mike pointed out, two two years. Um, I think if we um, what we'll find will will change will be people's um, uh, people's ambition within within the arc. They've got backing now. There's there's motivation. Um, there's this has been talked about for a long time, and and now there's there's an opportunity to start really putting ideas forward that can be implemented and, and delivered. Uh, and and so hopefully I'm I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of enthusiasm picking up over the, the coming weeks and months as this as this moves forward. No, it's it's fantastic. So so, so Peter, obviously you will be uh, there will be uh, sort of more publicly announcing your work with the Cambridge Noise Tech Corridor over the next couple of weeks, and and Mike Derbyshire again uh, clearly going to be a, a lot of ongoing work to develop some of these uh, policies and, and, and take forward a lot of this thinking, isn't there? This is meant to be an exemplar. This will not be the only regional strategy or sub-regional strategy, Andy. This is going to be the benchmark, the template of how we do it elsewhere. Because we lost regional planning 10 years ago. We've not done proper joined up planning, some people would say, for 40, 50 years. It's been 40, 50 years of deregulation. And I think the pandemic has shown us the value of big government. And I'm not sure if Boris is a big fan of big government, but this paper is about big government. It's about allowing local voices, but it is a, it is very much big government. And it's big government working with private sector partners that delivers big outcomes. Yeah. 
and and do you think there'll be some people that 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 uh you think there'll be some people that are scared of this uh yeah there's 23 authorities in the ark that have struggled to deliver housing numbers uh we've now got a government paper saying you you haven't really you've really struggled to deliver those housing numbers we think your numbers are too low we're going to up not just the housing numbers but we're also going to have up the job opportunities that comes with that and if you look at the logic of it the logic was the job growth in cambridge has pushed people out of cambridge and it's pushed people into areas like peterborough and those people in peterborough are being pushed further north so what you've got is this ludicrous situation of prosperous growth pushing the workforces further and further out driving prices up making it less affordable creating a less than virtuous circle for for our economies and the government said it's got to stop we've got to join these things together we've got to put houses where the jobs are and we've got to connect yeah. them to, uh, we've got to connect them together and while we're doing it why don't we green everything up and what's the opportunity then to spread growth out because again this is one of the other challenges here is that people will look at this and go you've got cambridge and oxford yeah. two of the richest cities anywhere on the planet um but they're both got you know hugely polarized communities particularly in oxford um you know similar to where i live in isn't it? You, you know you've, you've got you you really have got side by side totally different planets so what is the opportunity here with this spatial framework to spread growth out even things out make it a bit more fair and, and if we've got you know billions of billions of investment coming into life sciences and tech as we you know as we all three of our organizations keep telling everybody how do we then spread that out mike derbyshire uh, Leveling up. I, I, I can talk here as a third generation Lutonian, because much to my surprise and delight, Luton is mentioned in the paper along with Northampton and Bedford. And what it's saying is there is an opportunity for this world to spread to these other the, these others. That it refers to the automotive industry. So Luton, Milton Keynes, these are areas where there's other specialisms that dovetail very nicely. And it is very clear that there is huge polarisation in Cambridge and, and Oxford, and those cities need to be levelled up themselves. And then it says within the region, you have Milton Keynes, which is the fastest growing city in the UK, you have Oxford, and you have, and you have Cambridge, but then you have five or six other towns that it clearly explicitly identifies will benefit and will be targeted to benefit from this. So the levelling up isn't, as I thought the levelling up agenda was, which was the north and the south. This is being pushed to a more regional level and saying we're going to region up the inequalities in this region, but we're going to focus on this region because the potential for growth within it is huge. Well, let's leave it there. Thanks a lot for joining me this morning. Peter Baird from Perkins and Will, Mike Derbyshire from Bidwells. And you can read our Radical Regeneration Manifesto. You can find it online at blackstock.co.uk slash RRM. And you can obviously find uh, today's announcement on the uh, MHCLG website. But thanks very much for listening. I've been Andrew Teacher at Blackstock Consulting. Please do send any of your uh, um, uh, suggestions or trolling to me at the usual address uh, and you can subscribe to Propcast uh, head to Apple, head to Spotify, head to any of your podcast platforms and, and give it a search give it a rating and thanks a lot for listening see you soon, bye bye